So, uh, so last week, actually, we're doing a series right now. We're working through the book of Matthew, and uh, and we we started last week looking at Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter chapters five through seven. Uh, what I said last week, I said I'm going to preach the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Amen. Yeah, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. But then I clarified it and said the reason I can say it's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached is because it's not my sermon. All right. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7 uh, is a sermon by Jesus. And uh, what we said last week is it's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher who's ever lived. And uh, we're going to look at that again today. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20. And then we're going to look at the last verse, verse 48. And I'm going to make a few allusions to the verses in between. Uh, real quick, though, before I, I launch into that, the other day I was having um, having pizza with a friend of mine and a uh, roundtable pizza over out in Green Valley. And while we were talking, uh, this guy, he's a great guy. He is a super, super guy. He is as nice and friendly as anybody in this church. Uh, he is, um, I, I think if you met him, you'd, you'd love him. You'd just think, he's just a cool, really cool guy. Um, he is, um, he is a religious person. Uh, he's a religious person. If you asked him, are you a Christian, he would say, well, yes, I am. Uh, but if you sat down and if you talked with my buddy and you asked him a few questions, you might learn, uh, a, a, well, let me just put it this way. He calls himself a Christian, but his understanding of Jesus is very, very different from mine. Okay. So he, he considers himself to be a Christian as much as I do, and yet my understanding of Jesus and his understanding of Jesus are very, very different. Uh, he would tell you that he believes in the Bible, but what he believes in the Bible is very, very different from what I believe in the Bible. Um, again, you know, he calls himself a Christian, and he would say, if, if, you, were, if you were to sit down and we were able to talk for a little while, you would would understand that his understanding of how we can be right in a relationship with God is very, very different from what I would tell you about a person, how a person can be right in their relationship with God. So do you get this? Two people, talk. both of us claiming to be Christians, but both of us, our understanding about Jesus, our understanding of the Bible, our understanding about how a person can be right with God is very different. So what do you do with that? Uh, he uses a lot of the same terminology that I do, but what he means by that termi- terminology is very, very different from what I mean. So how do we decide who is right and who needs to make some adjustments in their thinking? You understand that question? How are we going to decide? How are we going to decide who's right? Am I right? Of course I am. How do we decide who's right? You know, how do we, um, and, and, and how do we decide who is right? And what that does is it brings us to some really important questions, I think. Some really important questions. So quite one question that I think we need to, to give some thought to is, what does Jesus say about himself? Not what do I say, not what does my buddy say, but what does Jesus say about himself? What is his understanding? 
Not what is my understanding or my friend's understanding. What does Jesus say to us about the nature of the Bible and how it applies to us? What is it? What does Jesus say about that? And then what does Jesus say to us about how a person can have a righteous standing before God? What does Jesus say about that? And how can we know if we have a place in the kingdom of heaven? And folks, these are hugely important questions. These questions are, are they're huge. They're huge. And I believe that Jesus addresses every one of these questions in some measure in the verses that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to do this kind of quick. This will be a little bit abbreviated. But what I want to do is I just want to give you an introduction to this text. And then inside of your bulletin, we have some notes, Bible study notes, with a paraphrase of of, of Matthew chapter 5. It has some questions, a couple of notes in there, uh, but, but for you to do more study on later. But uh, the, the text I want us to look at, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and then verse 48. Jesus says this. Remember, he's been talking to the people. Last week we talked about the disciple, the disciples, uh, his attitude, the disciples' attitude. We also talked about the disciples' influence in their world, that we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. And this week what we want to do is we want to look at the disciple and his righteousness. And what does Jesus tell us about himself? Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Scripture says this. Jesus says, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. Okay? Don't think that I've come to abolish, to nullify, to do away with, or to in any measure relax. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, I want to pause right there. 2,000 years ago, if you were Jewish and someone came and they said to you, I came to fulfill this, you know what kind of a statement that is? That is a huge, bold statement. I mean, that is like, that is, that is borderline presumption. And what Jesus says, he says, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. Until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments, if we could take one commandment, out of these scriptures, and we could say that's insignificant and unimportant. Jesus says this. He says, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in verses 18, excuse me, verses 21 through, through 47, what Jesus does is he, he, he goes through in six different times, he says, you have heard that it was said, you have heard that it was said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, I say to you, I say to you. And what he does is he addresses uh, six different topics. He addresses the, the, the issue of murder, 
and anger in the heart. He addresses adultery and lust in the heart. He addresses uh, divorce. He addresses uh, making promises but not being true to your word. He addresses being vindictive and in, in taking revenge on other people. And then he addresses love. And he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But I tell you, and, and he goes on to talk about that what we're supposed to do is that, that I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And then in verse 48, or Jesus says this, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, those are powerful words. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, this morning, I'm going to look at four things real quick, and I'm going to hit them fast. Is first of all, Jesus perfectly fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus presents himself not just as a good teacher. In our world today, a lot of people would say Jesus is a good teacher. They would say he's a prophet. Uh, they might even say he's the Son of God. But by the Son of God, they might mean not necessarily that he's God the Son, but he is an emanation from God, meaning that he is a, he's, he's not really fully, completely God in the way that God the Father is, but he's, he's something like God the Father. More than us, but less than the Father. So a lot of people would say that. There are a lot of different ideas about, about Jesus, but what Jesus says about himself is this, is he says, he says, I have come, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What's he saying by that? What does he mean by that? Uh, you know, in, in Acorn, uh, real quick, in Acorn, and I don't know if this is going to work for you guys. It may not work, but it works for me. An acorn has in it the instructions of an oak tree. Okay? A little acorn has in it the instructions of an oak tree in seed form. But you take that acorn, uh, and, and what an oak tree does is it fulfills everything that's written into that acorn. Are you with me here? Okay, if you're not following this entirely, let, let me see if I, can, if I can make this a little bit more clearly. What Jesus is, what the Old Testament is in seed form, Jesus is in all of his fullness. Meaning that everything in the Old Testament ultimately either points us to or prepares us for the coming of Jesus. That when, we are, when Jesus says about himself, when he says, I came to fulfill the Old Testament law, or the Old Testament uh, the, when I came, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, what Jesus is saying is that not just that he came to fulfill a few predictions about himself contained in the Old Testament. Are, are you with me here? So Jesus, what Jesus did is, yeah, he did fulfill some predictions about himself in the Old Testament. But when he says, I came to fulfill the scriptures, he's saying something more. He's saying that, yeah, I did come and I did fulfill those predictions, but I did something more than that. I fulfilled everything that's pictured in and foreshadowed in the sacrificial system. So in the sacrificial system, there was the sacrifice of animals as a picture of the need for some kind of sacrificial, um, um, uh, substitutional uh, atonement for us in our sin. And what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, I am the fullness of everything that that pictured. I am the perfect sacrifice that all those sacrifices pictured. But what Jesus is saying, when he said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's saying something more than that. 
He's saying something more than that. He, he is saying that, that he is, uh, that, that he is, that he, okay, I, I'm not, I, I feel like I'm not getting this said very well. Uh, Israel's history in the Old Testament foreshadowed the life of Jesus as God's true son, and as God's true son, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So when we go back and you look at Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, and where Matthew quotes and says that out of Egypt I called my son, making reference to when Israel came out of Egypt, what, what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is the true son, and all of that was simply a foreshadowing of one day when God would bring uh, his true son out of Egypt. Uh, that, that, that Jesus is, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures uh, because that, that he is the, he, what he did is he didn't just obey the teachings of the Old Testament. That when you look at, you know, a moment ago, what, what, what Corey was talking about is he talked about one of the things that really stood out to him in our church is when we talked about that, that in our church, we don't want to just look good so all the good people will like us. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law specialized in looking good so all the good people would like them. When they would try to obey the Old Testament teaching of Scripture, what they did is they tried to scale it back just a little bit. And they would say things like, you know, you shall not murder. Meaning this, that my neighbor who gets up very early in the morning and rides a very loud motorcycle, as long as I don't pull out my shotgun, I'm okay. But I can despise him in my heart. The, what they would say is, hey, as long as I'm not having sex with a woman who's not my wife, I can fantasize about anything I want to. That they, they would say things like, like, you know, Jesus said, you know, if you're uh, to, to give your wife a certificate of divorce. And, and what they said is this, is they, they, they said that you could divorce your wife for any act of indecency. By the way, Rabbi Hillel qualified that statement, any act of indecency, by saying that if she burnt your dinner, if she, spoke inde- if she spoke, quote, unquote, indecently about your parents, you had the right to divorce her. Meanwhile, she had no rights whatsoever. And so what was happening is that there was rampant divorce. That, that, that they said things like, hey, you know, as long as you don't swear in the name of God, you don't have to keep your promises. You can say, I swear, but as long as you don't say, I swear to God, you can pretty much get away with, with saying anything you want to. Uh, they, they, what they had done is they had basically taken what the Old Testament was teaching, but they reinterpreted it in such a way that they could live it. You follow what I'm saying? And so what they were doing is they were focused on a kind of righteousness that, that was very, it was all about the externals and about appearance, but nothing about reality. But what Jesus did is not only did he, he fulfill all of the Old Testament teaching and commandments, but he did it with a heart that was perfectly in tune with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Meaning that, that his heart was in complete harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit in every act of obedience. I can't make that boast. I don't even come close to that. That when Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, he is saying that he has perfectly lived out the wisdom of the wisdom literature. That he has, when he talks about fulfilling 
the Scriptures, he means that through his perfect interpretation and application of the Scripture, that, uh, that he is, as he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, he is not replacing the Old Testament Scriptures. He is rather fulfilling the Old Testament Scriptures. Are, are you with me here? That what Jesus is, is Jesus is more than just a religious teacher or a prophet. Because a prophet would say, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus would say, truly I say to you, that he spoke from his own authority. That he was making a very bold statement about himself. That first of all, what we see in this text is that Jesus perfectly fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. Number two, the scriptures are enduring and powerful, eternal and sufficient. Where do I see that? Matthew five eighteen. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, in, in, in the English alphabet, we might say the dot of an eye. Not the, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. What would the least stroke of a pen look like for us in our alphabet? Just imagine the, the, the letter P and the letter R. The least stroke of a pen is that little leg that comes down from the P portion that makes a P into an R. He would say not even that is going to pass away. That what Jesus was saying, he says, Truly I tell you, not uh, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That what Jesus is saying is that God's word is unalterable. That nothing and no one can stop God's word from accomplishing his intended purpose. That the scriptures are enduring and powerful, eternal and sufficient. Now, folks... In our world today, many people have tried to destroy the Word of God. Did you know that? That many people have tried to destroy the Word of God. They have, they've tried to, to halt the advance of God's Word in our world. They have killed, people have killed God's prophets to silence them. They've, they've burned Bibles. They've killed missionaries. They've said the Bible can't be trusted. You ever hear that? They said the Bible can't be trusted. They said the Bible's just a book like any other book. It's just a collection of stories with a few poems and a few. Uh, they, 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 the people have said the Bible is just like any other book. But you know, this is what you need to understand: that that no man and no movement has ever been able to silence the Word of God. Do you know that? No man. No movement has ever been able to silence the Word of God. And no man and no movement ever will. There are more Bibles that have been printed in human history than any... There's more, more Bibles that have been printed than any other book. That, that the, the, the Bible is the preeminent bestseller of all time. That, that the whole Bible... Get, get this. The whole Bible has been translated in total from beginning to end, in 670 languages. The New Testament has been translated into 1,521 languages. And that portions of the Bible have been translated in 3,312 uh, 3, languages. You get that? The portions of the Bible, like books of the Bible, have been translated in 3,312 languages. Do you know how many translations there are of book number two? 300. Do you know what the book is? Pinocchio. 
300 translations. 300 different languages. The Bible, 3,300. And when you look at that and you compare it to other, the Tao Te Ching has been translated into 250 languages. The Quran has been translated in total 50 languages, in part 112 languages. The Book of Mormon has been translated into 110 languages. The Bhagavad Gita and uh, Harry Potter have something in common. They've both been translated into 80 languages. But the Bible in total has been translated into 670 languages. It's been the New Testament over 1,500 languages, and in portions of the Bible, uh, in, in 3,312 languages. That there is no book like this book. That the scriptures are enduring and powerful, eternal and sufficient, and that nobody and no one can prevent uh, God's word from accomplishing his purposes. Number three, what I want you to see is that as followers of Jesus, we want to practice and teach uh, the scriptures. We want to practice and teach the scriptures. In verse 19, what Jesus says, he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom. Uh, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, there are some people who dismiss the scriptures as outdated. Some say it's too restrictive. It's too restrictive. Some people say the Bible is too narrow. Some people say that, that, that the Bible needs to be more tolerant of other paths to God and other lifestyles. And folks, today, in 21st century North America, even in some of our churches, we're preaching more and more the ideas of man and less and less of the Scriptures. And what our world needs today is it needs more preaching from men like me that includes more scripture. Why should guys like me preach less of our own ideas and more of God's word? Well, let me just give you a few, a few thoughts on this. Number one, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Why should I preach less of my own ideas and more of what God's word says? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Why should I preach less of my own ideas and more of the scriptures? Because the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Why should guys like me spend less time talking about our own ideas and more time reading, studying, and proclaiming the Word of God? Because the Scriptures are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them is, there's great reward. You know what there is in my ideas? Nothing like that. <laughs> Nothing like that. The guys like me, we need to spend less time talking about our own ideas and, and more time talking about the Scriptures. The, the church today needs more preachers to preach more of God's Word. Why? Because in practicing and proclaiming and keeping the Word of God, there's great reward. Fourth thought I want to share with you today is this. As followers of Jesus, we don't want a watered-down righteousness based upon human effort. See, that's exactly what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were specializing in. As followers of Jesus, we don't want a watered-down righteousness based upon human effort. We want to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, what, what Jesus says, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, nobody gets to heaven by looking good. Do you understand this? Nobody gets to heaven by looking good. Nobody gets to heaven based upon an externalized righteousness that has nothing to do with the human heart. What Jesus says, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were seeking to live out the law in a way that made Christ unnecessary. They were seeking to make themselves righteous through outward conformity to a watered-down understanding of the law and the prophets. As a result, they didn't recognize that they were poor in spirit, and they weren't grieved over the depth of their own sin. The law and the prophets were testifying of one who would fulfill the righteous requirements of the law from the inside out. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't want to have any part in that. You know, the Old Testament scriptures, when it talks about righteousness, it, it, it talks like this. It says, uh, it says that, that, that in the Old Testament, God speaks to us through the prophet Jeremiah, and he speaks to us through the, the prophet Ezekiel, and God says to us this. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. And people, that's what we need. We don't need an externalized application of the Word of God. We need the Word of God written in our minds and on our hearts. And then God says this. He says, I will be their God, and they'll be my people. He goes on to say through Ezekiel the prophet, he says, I will give you a new heart. See, that's what we need. We need more than just a bunch of rules. We need, I need, you need a new heart. I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And that's what we need. That's the kind of righteousness that we need. The purpose of the law and the prophets was to prepare prepare us for the one who would fulfill the righteous requirements so that in faith in him, we could be made righteous. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, the Bible says this. It says, But now apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Are you with me on this? I mean, this is crucial. This is absolutely crucial. The scripture says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Today, what I want to know uh, with you is to whom are you looking And what are you looking to for your righteous standing before God? Who are you looking to? What are you looking to for your righteous standing before God? The problem with the Pharisees, the problem with the teachers of the law, is they thought that you got there by keeping all the rules. They thought you got there by by following all the commandments. And the truth is, none of us can do that. But there's one who has. There's one who has. That Jesus Christ, he doesn't come just to give us a new law to live by. He came to be a fulfillment of this law. 
every part of it. That, that what he did is that he has come and he has completely and fulfilling kept in full measure the entirety of God's law. And it's through him and faith in him that we can have that righteousness. But folks, I, I think that sometimes what can happen is you can go to church and you can trust in going to church as your way of getting to heaven. That you can read your Bible and you can trust in reading the Bible as your way to heaven. That you can trust in being a good person. Being basically a good person that, you know, I don't really lie. At least I don't lie that much. I don't lie about the big things, you know. Uh, you know, that, that I don't murder. Okay, maybe I hate my neighbor every once in a while, but I don't murder, you know. That we begin to trust in our own works. That, well, I, I, I don't commit adultery. I mean, yeah, maybe I've had an adulterous heart here or there once or twice. And what happens is we begin to rely on um, human effort instead of trusting in and relying on divine grace. And what we need is we need the one who's the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. We need the one who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We need a righteousness that is more than our conformity to a list of rules. We need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And we can only have that through faith in Christ. Today, what I want to ask you is, who or what are you trusting in? for your righteous standing before God. You know, when I was a little guy, I, I prayed a prayer, something like this, and, and it, this wasn't exactly the prayer I prayed, but this kind of represented uh, the thinking in my heart my mind when I prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. By the way, I still am. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, and I'm powerless to save myself. Uh, thank you for being the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures for bearing my sin on the cross and defeating the power of sin and death through your death and resurrection. I ask you to come into my life to forgive my sin and give me eternal life. Amen. Now, folks, I don't know if you've ever made a set of prayer like that. I don't know if you've ever committed your life to Christ in that way before. But today what I want to do is I want to give you that opportunity to make that kind of commitment to Jesus. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to lead us in this prayer one more time. And if this prayer is the prayer of your, your heart, I'd ask you to just pray it silently after me, uh, just to yourself and to God, okay? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I sinned against you, and I'm powerless to save myself. Thank you for being the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures for bearing my sin on the cross and defeating the power of sin and death through your death and resurrection. I ask you to come into my life to forgive my sin and to give me eternal life. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up, please. Uh, today, if you, made, uh, if you said a prayer like that, committing your life to God, uh, I'd really like to hear from you. Uh, there are a couple ways that you can communicate with me. Matt, let's your stand, sorry. Um, there are a couple ways you can communicate with me. One way is inside of your bulletin. We have a little response slip there. And uh, what you can do is you can just write on that response slip uh, that you prayed that prayer today, that you made that commitment to Christ. And if you could give me your, your name and your contact information, I'd like to get back in, in, in touch with you if I can. But if you made that commitment uh, to Christ, 
the other thing you can do is you can just talk to me as you're leaving today, but I would really like to, to know you made that commitment. Uh, and what we'd like to do is we'd really like to rally around you and help you and support you in your new walk with, with Christ. So I'd just like to encourage you to do that. All right, good morning. My name is Kim.